I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch? We love to watch and Himbo Dracula say a calf. Fresh dress, close the shop and models. We've been flipping our bold L's. Used to ride the D to beat the morning bell. It ended on Moro out on Avenue L. I like that part of the Blade universe. It is it is like one of the only redeeming social pieces of social value in this movie is that like they they just keep hitting it that like <laughs> cops are in the pockets of these big monsters. Yeah. Therefore uh, they become monsters. Obviously in real life they only serve and protect. They're not like say like the cops in this movie who are specifically not trying to protect people and not trying to dole out justice, but protect a nefarious group of of uh, well-to-do uh, rich people trying to destroy the world. Yeah, yeah. Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> this is clearly a wild fantasy story. This movie does have a wild fantasy concept, though, because Blade gets, uh, uh, point, guns get pointed at Blade multiple, multiple times, and none of the cops ever land a shot. <laughs> this movie posits a world where, what if Blade has to take the biggest shit, <laughs> and he can hold it in as long as he never moves a muscle? <laughs> What if the blade in Blade was referring to a steak knife? And if he just stays perfectly still the entire movie, he will never embarrass himself in front of Count Dracula. Now, look, the war Peter, I've been embarrassed himself. in front of people, sure, yeah. but these yeah. are just people. Can you imagine, like, not if you embarrass yourself in front of Count Dracula, first of all, if that guy like is like, oh my god, that was embarrassing for you. He's been around four thousand years. He's seen everything, and th- but maybe he hasn't seen that, and he's embarrassed for you. <laughs> but also, chances are he's not gonna die. He's gonna. He's not. It's not like, well, thankfully, all the embarrassing shit I've ever done. These people are gonna die, and I'm gonna die, and everyone's gonna forget about it. He likely will go on forever. I just. And- I. I would imagine that Dracula is gonna see Blade. Clearly holding something in. He's uh, he's groundhogging it a little bit. Was it, is gopher in it? Is that the term? Where just yeah. pops that pops in and out a little bit. Yeah. Um. And, and Dracula just goes. I don't think your heart's in this man. And <laughs> buries himself in the Iraqi desert. Uh, Syrian desert. We'll talk about that. Oh yes, yes, yes. The Syrian uh, desert. I forgot. Syria, although they forget, they forget that they changed the title at the beginning, and then they refer to it as Iraq the rest of the movie. Yeah, that's. <laughs> It's my fault, really. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not your fault. Uh, yeah, it's, it's either that or either Blade has to shit the whole time or hmm. the only other possible explanation in canon for Blade in this movie is that he has decided 
that. He became a little bit of a cinephile, really got into Spielberg's output, obsessed over one particular 1993 movie, and decided it couldn't hurt to test if, like a T-Rex, the vampire's vision was based on movement. (laughs) And he's not, like, it hasn't worked the whole movie, but from the beginning to the end, he's not willing to give up on the fact that it could. You know, when John Wayne... Uh, particularly late era John Wayne, <clears throat> a little pudgy. John Wayne waddling in bad health, got just got off a horse. Imagine if he looked brisk and limber compared to the Daywalker, a half man, half vampire <laughs> hybrid, um, or maybe you know in a Jesus Christ parlance, full man, full vampire. Um, <laughs> it's a mystery. You can't you can't know the mysteries of vampirism or of day walking. The mysteries of Blade. Yeah. Um, and he makes he makes uh, 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 somebody who can apparently break through a window, crash through a seven story window, and land flat on his feet because he wanted to get his sword. Uh, look lithe, lithe and limber. Yeah. I mean, the, the metatextual explanation could be that Wesley Snipes died <laughs> during this movie and they decided to really weaken it, Bernie's him throughout the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. Before they shot a scene. We're going to get into it. I there's should a, probably there should say be a third. There's actually a third canonical reason. He, yeah, he there is. Like there is a, there's a fourth reason that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and one of them is in the last movie, Scud, played by Norman Reedus, uh, fan favorite. Um, <laughs> uh, Scud says, uh, you know, tote for a smoke blade. And he goes, later. And what he meant was the entire third movie. I'm going to be pretty hot. Yeah, he's he, he had way too much. You know, those the edibles they make now, like they make 100 milligram gummy worms. You can't just like have a, a bite of that and go about your vampire hunting. So he's yeah. like, he like he understands he has to fight vampires, but he's essentially in a uh marijuana induced psychotic freak out for most of the time and he's but but he's blade he's Wesley Snipes he's he's keeping it together but maybe a little too much that it's noticeable yeah yeah i mean also an inner in universe ex- inner universe explanation for this is that blade is getting old his human side has made him more akin to the um listening to Garrison Keillor in his, his, like, whatever Dodge Charger. Uh, He's not listening to, like, uh, you know, lo-fi beats. Yeah. Um, He's, he's, uh... He's more interested in finding out what what, what they're up to on the big prairie. (laughs) I did, like... Not only does he seem like he is again. He's being weakened at Bernie. Chris Christopherson, I was like... Did he die shortly after making this movie? I didn't mean that like sarcastic, like as a joke. I was like, "Oh, he." I wonder if he didn't make it much further, only to find out that Chris Christopherson is still alive today. Seventeen years. That was, he's in his eighties. That was seventeen years ago. Uh, I, I fucking love Chris Christopherson, and the, he is one of the many reasons that this movie is pushed over from uh, merely boring into loathsome. Yeah, we're we're gonna get into all of it. What is this? Where we live to watch from movie podcast. We pick a theme, we do movies over the course of that month around that theme, and if we remember, we compare and contrast, and we're in our third ever double month. Mignola and Del Toro go to Hollywood slash uh, Blade Boy, <laughs> uh, where we are covering the careers of, well, not really the careers, but we're, we're covering uh, Blade and Hellboy, two uh, kind of 
uh, oddball superheroes that came about before the 2008 post Iron Man, post Dark Knight superhero revival that we're all still living uh, through, and and were both helped uh, to bring uh, helped to be brought into mainstream legacy by work of Mike Mignola and Gilmel del Toro. So we're kind of we're we're what's funny is that this this double month is really structured as almost like two humps, and we're in. <laughs> We're in. This is our fifth episode. The, literally, the dead middle, right before we start going up again into the other hump. Because part of this is that we're essentially covering, for the most part, everything in chronological order for when the films release. So we did uh, their start in Hollywood. We did Mimic and Atlantis, The Lost Empire, the Disney movie, which was Del Toro's first Hollywood movie, and Magnolia's first Hollywood movie. Then we covered Blade, which is important to cover the Blade series, but but didn't uh, didn't involve Magnolia and Del Toro. Uh, then we were able to do Blade Two, where they meet, uh, they or where they their first uh, their first movie that they worked together on, and then they finally get to do why Del Toro didn't didn't do this movie um, is because he finally got to do what he had always wanted to do with Magnolia, which is direct a Hellboy movie. Two thousand four, we covered that last week, um, and now we're doing our first glimpse of what happens when uh, Magnolia. And Del Toro leave a movie just to exist without them. And we're wrapping up the Blade series with Blade Trinity, a movie that I have now embarrassingly said I remember being kind of good. And I'm assuming it's because I watched it with a brain injury. <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't I, I watched this at the perfect age, and I remember being like, Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty awful. <laughs> I watched this at 13, I think. So I, I think I, I didn't see it when it came out. It got terrible reviews. It looked bad. I think it was one of those things where, like, six years later, I'm like, you know, this is a good lazy Saturday movie. And it had been a while since I'd seen the other Blade movies and all those things coalesced to, like, well, yeah, this isn't great. But there's some, like, I like the body bag concept in the same way, like, I kind of like Daywalkers and... um, I Man, actually think, Daywalkers like... Daywalkers really blows us out of the water, huh? Yeah, it really does. Um, I like, like, even though I didn't like the actor playing Dracula, some of the, like, the the weird mythology around him I thought was somewhat interesting. Like, you know, I had this rate as, like, a three-star movie. Not great, but um, defensible. And I, I'll tell you, that's wrong. This movie is fucking terrible. I also don't think I knew about um, all of the on-set stuff that kind of came about to make this movie as terrible as it was. Uh, Though those stories make the movie more entertaining to watch, you have to it, Well, it's easy to pick up. It's one of those things where, like, I hate doing the How I Met Your Mother reference, but, like, the, it's the glass shattering. Like, once you know, you can't unsee it. Once you know how, like, if you don't know that what Wesley Snipes is doing in this movie or why he's acting like this, like, metatextually, you may be like, all right, well, these are terrible. It's not good directing and a weird stylistic choice, but maybe it's like him trying to show that he's removed from this younger generation and he lost his loved one and he he is kind of going through the motions. And, like, there's things that you can put in the performance that don't exist, but... You know, why else would you think he's acting like this? Unless you, of course, know that uh, he didn't want to be acting in this movie. And he was... Sometimes he didn't. And that's why he speaks like... Something like 100 words? 120 words? 
and or something like like something it's it's um it's it's he speaks a hundred sentences um and that includes when he's like talking to the baby and he goes coochie coo like that's that's considered a sentence yeah so and like he doesn't move and part of that's because he's not in a lot of this movie usually it's like it's 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 counted as like lines but like i don't i don't i like i don't know like Blade talked the perfect amount in the two previous movies, but like I don't think, I don't I don't necessarily think like Blade is a talky guy. But it is one of those things where in this movie there are moments when Blade opens his mouth and you're like, maybe you should have talked less. And we can, I, and I think we can firmly blame David S. Goyer for this, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. I think. Yeah, I, I yeah. Think What's interesting is that I think a hundred percent because I think. A lot of the things is like, oh, Wesley Snipes being crazy Wesley Snipes. And as you've heard, Wesley Snipes, uh, Snipes, <laughs> that's who acted in this movie. That's why it was so bad. They, they couldn't even get Wesley Snipes. They got Wesley Snipes. That guy is not a good actor. Wesley Snipes. Um, when you hear his um, narrative of it, a lot of stuff clicks into place. And you're like, yeah, it's definitely Goyer's fault. It's not Wesley Snipes being a prima donna. He loved Blade. He wanted to make this movie. A lot of racism and a lot of people being a dick to him. And he's like, fuck, Wesley Snipes is a cool dude. And he's like, fuck all that. No, unacceptable. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, yeah, so we're doing Blade Trinity, which let's let's just talk about how we got Blade Trinity. They did go and say, hey, hey Del Toro, you made a good movie that people like that made uh, more box office than the first one. Do you want to do another one? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Oh, what's this? You're giving me Hellboy? I don't want to make it. Never mind. And that's what happens. We talked about Hellboy last week. Uh, they, these movies came out in the same year. Del Toro, uh, they asked him to come back and direct. And Del Toro said, sure, oh, never mind Hellboy. Uh, Hellboy was what he wanted to make. He, uh, that's why he, him and Mignola had been friends um, for a while. That's why he brought him in to do concept art on Blade 2. And that's that was really what he was excited uh, to do, which leaves Blade following another successful move, Blade Trinity, without a director. Now, thankfully, <laughs> they found a director here. You seen this? You heard about this? They found a director? Hellboy Trinity. You hear about this? Um, and it has my my maybe my favorite Wikipedia, just straight fact that seems like a lot of shade. Um, that I sent to Peter. I was laughing so hard. So I'm just gonna read it from Wikipedia. In 2001, before the release of Blade Two, New Line made a deal with David Goyer to write and produce a third Blade film. In 2002, German director Oliver Hirschbiegel was in talks to direct Blade 3. Can I pause real quickly? Yeah. Really great pronunciation. Like, Thank I don't, you. I, like, I don't know if it's actually, like, that authentic, but I just love the confidence you brought into it. Hirschbiegel. <laughs> I mean, you didn't put... You Olivier Hirschbiegel. I mean, you didn't put, like, sauerkraut on it, but, like, you, no. you, you, had, you had a confidence. It was, it was a lone It was a lone schnitzel. Uh, yeah, yeah, my German is fine. Uh, 2002 German director Olivier Hirschbiegel um, was in was in talks to direct Blade 3, but chose instead to direct a film about Adolf Hitler called Downfall. Um, so good. It's so, so good. good. It's, it's the way it's not like, but but instead chose to direct the movie Downfall, 
it says instead show, but chose instead to direct a film about Adolf Hitler. And I just I imagine him going like, "Oh my god!" After reading the script, I'd rather direct a fucking movie about Adolf Hitler. <laughs> and someone's like, "Oh, uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, Hirschbagel, I've just written a script." Um, I mean, and I, you know, I, I feel like if you're gonna you're gonna take take a step back. In a way, Dracula is sort of the Hitler of his times, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Lots of bloodletting and murder, unleashing just hordes on people, just a real piece of shit. Um, but the thing is, we find Dracula romantic and sexy. Um, and, like, just fucking look at those abs. Those pecs. Like, titties popping on top of his shirt. Um, that guy's in prison break? It looks like his titties trying to break prison break out of his shirt. Um, but Hitler, absolutely no sex appeal. So I don't know what Oliver No sex appeal. No. I don't know what he's thinking. People don't say that enough about Hitler. He gets criticized a lot, but like <laughs> They don't criticize him for his they lack of sex appeal. They don't usually criticize that he just just did not have have it where it counted, as they say. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, Gary Oldman and Bram Stoker's Dracula you got Bela Lugosi. <laughs> you do. You do not have Klaus Kinski. You do not have Klaus Kinski or you, Max. No, Shrek. you can't. You can't add Klinsky. Into uh, it. But you got all these sexy guys. Who was the guy who played it in the seventies? Um, not Frank Castle. What was the guy's name? Uh, Ted Neely. Ted Neely. <laughs> Frank Langella. You got Frank Langella in the 1979 Dracula. He's a he's a hunk. And, like, Gary Oldman, not traditionally considered a hunk. He's kind of hunky in the Bram Stoker Dracula. Yeah. Um, this movie... Uh, Hitler, rarely sexy no matter who portrays him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't care that he made the, the cover of uh, Volk Like, magazine. name a sexy Hitler. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, yeah, you're right. He made the cover of Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Notice it wasn't People Magazine's <laughs> Sexiest Person of the Year. Uh, man, and like, you know, Ava Braun was just marrying him for the publicity, right? I thought it was joint custody of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wolf. <laughs> or Wolfie. There we go. Uh, I is, like the uh, hold on. Did you say think that Hitler's dog's name was called Foof? It's a uh, Wolfie, but Wolfie. I like the idea that they would name their dog like a German way to say like Woof. <laughs> <laughs> come here, Foof. Oh, come here, Wolfie. Oh, Foof. Oh, come here, Wolfie. So, if you learn nothing from this podcast, and you think that we're wrong about this, you you find us one sexy Hitler. <laughs> I bet you can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and and, and like, if also, like, they, they tried. There was his. Have you seen his Lederhosen special? He looked like shit. I don't think you can be sexy in Lederhosen. He has no jawline. I, I think he's he's got a terrible facial hair. Like oh people God. say that went out of style because it was associated with history's greatest monster. <laughs> I just think it was like people went that looks like shit. So they say like lean into your your weaknesses. So like if you have you know if you have like a, a particularly feature you're self conscious about, find a way to to make that feature um, more accentuated. Um, Hitler gave himself a very tiny mustache, which makes him look like he has that Instagram filter where they squish his face really small. 
<laughs> he does. And look, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I know those guys like to horse around a little bit, but but now they're just talking about Hitler. It's gone too far. I'm going to say, sir or madam, who's saying this to us hypothetically, I don't think you can go too far when you're saying things like Hitler's not sexy. I think we need to <laughs> shout it from the rooftops that Hitler... Not a sexy man. Other negative things, too, I think we should be saying. Because, I don't know if you know this, the, the Nazis are back. And the last thing we need them to be is sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember Do you remember when Nazis started getting uh, haircuts and wearing pea coats? And magazines were like, the new brand of Nazi is really That's how sexy. not sexy that they were, had been previously because of Hitler. They're like, this guy put on a suit. Is he a sexy Nazi? We've never seen a Nazi in a suit. Uh, we've never seen a Nazi that didn't look like uh, a, a evil boy from the Omen series. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Forbes is like all confused. They're like, wait, are Nazis sexy? Or is this guy just, just took a shower? <laughs> <laughs> is this man sexy or has he been to a salon once can you believe that we, there was a magazine article that was like the the sexy alt-right like what yeah yeah we're, we're very I, embarrassing yeah i, 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 I just i don't want to I, I, I don't want to speak for you aaron i i just gotta say if anything i'm sure they disappointed adolf hitler who was noted for his not sexiness <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to be so much like the fuhrer you failed, bud. Yeah. Hope you go yeah. to your grave knowing that Hitler is deeply ashamed at how sexy you were. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you be sexier than me? God damn you, sexy Dracula! God damn you! <laughs> the appropriate amount of sexy is no sexy! Uh, all right. So, speaking of things that are bad, Blade Trinity. So, <laughs> so the first director's like, I'm going to go make a movie about a, a four-hour movie about Hitler killing everyone in the bunker. Um, I, get, I don't know if New Line was just like, fine, David, I know you've been asking. Um, so, David Goyer gets to direct. Never directed a movie. Other people, actually, I, I, we did skip some things. Other people, like Steve, Stephen Norrington was going to come back, and then he read the script and he was like, no, thank you. I will stay retired and disgraced after leave Extraordinary Gentleman. Uh, um, check, please, is what he said. Uh, check, please. <laughs> You're paying, right? <laughs> Excited to read this fucking script. Uh, yeah, so the, apparently the script was terrible. No one wanted to do it. I guess no, no one in New Line was like, "You're change it. Instead, they're like, let's make sure everything ends up on screen because we're going to have you direct your own script. Um... Important to remember, though, Wesley Snipes is executive producer. He has a lot of say in this character. He earned it and t took it very seriously. He also was not happy with the script, nor was Chris Christopherson. They were both like, hey, can we just do a Blade movie? Why are you trying to introduce all these other... Why are you killing Whistler so quickly? Why are you introducing all these other characters that now Blade's friends with? That drama, not to not to skip ahead too much, continued on the set. We can get into the little bit of the the racial component. What what's really frustrating reading the narratives yeah, as it goes it's, on? It's complicated. It's very complicated because like people that I generally like, like Pat Nods, uh, and I, some of it is that I think that some people on the set 
saw the behavior and didn't realize where a lot of it was stemming from. And so you have like Ryan Reynolds and you have Patton Oswald who after the movie comes out and it's not that good, start sharing stories about like things that are just in a vacuum could be conceivably funny for like a prima donna movie star, right? Like he stops coming out of his trailer. He refuses to film scenes. They, so Goyer has to do uh stunt doubles and, uh, and and cgi to basically say that like blade was barely in any or wesley snipes is barely in any of the scenes so they have to like shoot a movie around covering someone who will rarely come out of his trailer when he does come out of his trailer or when he does like he refuses to talk to goyer for the entirety of the movie and starts uh and starts writing notes that say from blade anytime he needs to communicate like all that stuff on paper you hear those stories and you go wow wesley snipes that guy really became quite the wacko Eventually, like, Wesley Snipes was asked about it, and you hear some of his stories, and he's like, look, I was the executive producer of the film. I originated the Blade character. Everything I said on set that I wanted, like, he's like, I'm not not in a position of power, right? That I should have been able to make decisions in my role as executive producer. Instead, David Goyer made it clear that he thought that that was a title they gave me to do the movie, and had no interest in anything that I wanted to do. And the studio kept backing him. So I'm in a position where technically I'm the executive producer. I should have a say in this movie that stars me as this character. And then and then Goyer is turning, you know, he's like, and then Goyer's turning the entire cast and crew around me by setting me up as a movie star prima donna. So he's like, I just didn't want anything to do with it, right? Like... And he kind of tapped out and he it was it wasn't a hissy fit. It wasn't a prima donna situation. It really was someone who doing the only thing he can to try to underline how much he is being uh, disrespected and not and you know, seemingly in a way like um, racially uh, discriminated against and like about about like all these things and you know he's like that's how i reacted to it was it good was it bad i don't know like how would you react to it <laughs> you know um and really you know really sees goyer as the person who uh turned an entire cast and crew against him and and kind of felt him trapped in a movie where theoretically he sh- is at the end of the day goyer's boss uh, but no one else really backed him in, in the studio system. So, like, you hear that, and then you, like, see this movie, and, you re- like, it, it becomes much more of a, oh, this isn't necessarily, like, funny. <laughs> this is, like, you're literally seeing someone who is um, was supposed to have a voice, who is told his voice doesn't matter and to do what I tell you to do, which, of course, takes on a lot more uh, weight because of like oh that's that's how hollywood has treated people of color and marginalized people forever uh and here they did it with the the star of their very successful franchise so yeah i it you know going back to then hearing some of the story about like ryan reynolds and Penn oswald he was so high it's like again i know they're just hearing the stories from goyer and everywhere else but it really paints goyer as a, a really fucking huge dipshit yeah. Besides writing a movie. Yeah, and one of the other one of the other um stories is that um Leslie Snipes uh choked Goyer out. And Leslie Snipes also denies this incident. He especially when Coming to America came out. Yeah. Um Coming to America 
came out and he had a lead role and he started getting interviews and people started asking him weird questions because Wesley Snipes' career has been, well, not fully dormant. It's largely DTV stuff to help pay for his yeah. tax woes. He claims that Goyer tried to choke him out. Goyer has never really said this himself, but Goyer's friends with Pat Oswald and Pat Oswald has passed the story around a bunch. Pat Oswald also, apart from just being friends with Goyer... Wouldn't have much reason to be on set very long. So, like, yeah. Patton Oswalt telling stories about all this crazy shit that happened on set. Like, Patton Oswalt has maybe three minutes of screen time in the final product. Like, I don't know if he was actually on set in Vancouver for that long. Um, there's just a lot to doubt on both sides. Also, yeah. Wesley Snipes had understandable qualms. Like, maybe Wesley Snipes was really pissed at him. But, like, the, the idea of violence, the idea of a weed-filled trailer, the idea of a lazy, disengaged cast member, the idea of... Um, a prima donna on set, the idea of a, a a big muscly guy who's just not engaging with the text, who doesn't know how to play the game. Someone who, oh. quote unquote, not, I shouldn't say quote unquote, but like the implication is like, doesn't know their place. Yes. You're, 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 <laughs> you know where I'm going. This is yeah. all deeply, deeply racialized subtext. This is yep. all, this is, this all feeds very much into a racist stereotype. And while I'm not denying that it's possible that human beings feed into their stereotypes, um, it sets up this pretty shitty honey trap, not even honey trap, it sets up this pretty shitty catch-22 for uh, minorities where um, if you are genuinely pissed about the fact that you're being sidelined in your own franchise, which as we established in Blade 1... <laughs> The character of Blade was just a black guy who spoke jive and had stakes. There was mm -hmm. the, 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 the continuity between that and Blade 1 is very slim. Stephen Norrington and Wesley Snipes developed this character together, as you were talking about, Aaron. This, yeah. this is their creation. <laughs> the well, and then we talked about last week, right, or not last week when we did Blade 2. Like, Del Toro speaks a lot about how anytime. That, that Snipes was extremely involved in shaping the character, what he would say, how he would behave, specific plot beats. And Del Toro said anytime uh, Wesley Snipes would come up with an idea, it was always better than was was on the page. It was he, he learned that the way to make this movie successful is to follow Wesley Snipes' lead when it came to the character of Blade. And that's, you know, sharp contrast to to this movie. <laughs> Yes, yes. And um, David S. Goyer also, Del Toro might have been saying that because it was true, which I believe. I believe it was true. But he also might have been saying that because Del Toro knows how to negotiate with big stars. Like Del Toro yeah. is emotionally smart enough to say, okay, so this big star has a lot of weight to throw around, is an exec producer. This is also something that Wesley Snipes said in interviews. He's like, I had power on set and that power was undermined. Um, yeah. And uh, Del Toro was smart enough, especially being that young in his career, um, to say, I'm going to work with this big guy because this big fucking guy is the reason this franchise exists. This big fucking guy is the reason that this character is something that like people love. And, and like we were talking about during our Blade 2 episode, that people would stand up and cheer for this character during yeah. like in theaters. Like that is like i'm going to listen to him and like what you know he's not going to say in interviews oh we compromised a few times he had some bad ideas whatever like he's going to say oh he had a lot of awesome ideas and we used a lot of them on set and um david s goyer is a, is, is a um a screenwriter who's 
Scripts are very often subverted by other creative voices, strong-willed directors or strong-willed other creative voices. So as he gets into the Dark Knight movies and the Man of Steel movies, whatever, he ends up kind of just being a story-by concept kind of guy. Um, Because in the Dark Knight movies, Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan... Um, end up taking over a lot of the, the the writing duties on those movies, especially like Batman Begins and in Dark Knight. Um, and then as we get into Man of Steel, he ends up being almost like a yeah. The point I'm making here is that David S. Goyer was a, a writer who wasn't even that good of a flexible writer, and yet somehow parlayed um, that sort of incompetence. <laughs> into a true Hollywood career where like he is writing some of the biggest movies of Hollywood and he still has a career on the DC side and he's still writing comic book movies. He's still driving these movies and Wesley Snipes, you know, um, partially for uh, awful shitty, um, you know, bad rep reasons that happen because of, you know, a, a black actor gets a bad rep. All right, we're not using him anymore. He has to go do DTV, DTV movies until his attitude improves. Um, and partially because Wesley Snipes admittedly has tax problems. Tax, uh, Wesley Snipes refused to pay his taxes and then he got caught and now he's doing movies similar to Nicolas Cage to pay off his taxes. Um <laughs> You know, there's legitimate reasons for Wesley Snipes to be disappointed in this production, and there's, there's, you know, not as legitimate reasons, but regardless, like, it all feeds into this, this concept of set chaos that, like, permeates every inch of this movie and makes this movie deeply uncomfortable with itself. This is a deeply insecure and incompetent movie, and I blame David S. Goyer entirely for getting a big fucking head when he was directing his first movie and trying to push... Wesley Snipes out of the process and constantly, constantly being a yes man for the studio saying, well, we want to kick off a new franchise. Well, we want to do this. Well, we want to do that. Well, Wesley Snipes is going to be a a bit, a bit, uh, and I'm using this term specifically, a bit uppity. Um, We need to push him out of the franchise and replace him with these Night Stalkers. We need to replace him with two white cast members. And then this is something that everyone agrees on. Wesley Snipes was pushed out of the casting process. Yeah. For his own replacements. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah we we don't know the alternate universe like if wesley snipes were completely involved this movie might have been amazing it might have been shit but at least wesley snipes would have been engaged during his scenes as blade <laughs> so yeah that and again the movie sucks like it's like the script is bad the dialogue is bad the idea of the night soccer's are bad like i will say this like wesley snipes inclination to make another movie about me and whistler is the right inclination um and <laughs> yeah have you seen the last two movies yeah it, it definitely paints a really really negative picture and again produces this really awkward terrible movie I, there's definitely a lot of just general pride or whatever or lack of humility and like fuck you i'm gonna shoot it with stunt doubles and cgi then <laughs> like oh yeah well you got a terribly directed horribly blocked a really odd movie and that's why we were joking at the beginning about how wesley Snipes stands still the whole movie like, I guess you weren't able to uh, extra your way out of the lead star of your action franchise, who now just sits still and doesn't say anything. Like, <laughs> I, I I don't know. Uh, the other thing I want to talk to you about before we get into the uh, actual movie, which may be mercifully short, uh, it's something that you and I both exchanged messages of, and I, it's actually something I want to take a little bit of time to talk about outside the movie, is Ryan Reynolds. 
Ryan Reynolds, I think, is you. You texted me that this movie is doing its damnedest to 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 remove all the goodwill I had for Ryan Reynolds, or, or that he's built up over the last few years with both his uh, generally pleasant uh, persona, his seemingly fun relationship with Blake Lively, and of course, like I I like the Deadpool movies. I don't know where you stand on them, but yeah, they're fine. Uh, I think they're interesting. I think they're. I think. I think it's. I, I am. I'm of the opinion that we need more movies that subvert the typical superhero franchise. Have you shit. seen? Have you seen? Deadpool 2? Uh, no, I've Last, seen one. I think you will change your tune even more if you see Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2 is so good. The yeah. first one's fine. The second one is 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 so much fun. The Deadpool 1 actually made me laugh, which Yeah, I, I like Deadpool. I like the first one. like we're on a we're on a good pace. Ryan Reynolds though, if you look at his movies, I mean, notoriously, right? They make fun of this a lot in Deadpool 2, where spoilers for Deadpool 2, he like goes and and kills himself in Green Lantern <laughs> at the end of that movie. You know, he was I think generally considered to be a funny guy who literally just could not find a movie. I I know some people um say good things about like some smaller independent stuff that he did like Buried and the Nines that I haven't seen. But man, he was just like, you know, he was someone who was considered funny and then was in script after or ter- movie after movie that was just uniformly terrible. And he has that problem that I think a lot of directors and writers do when there's a lack of confidence in the material. He's a quote-unquote funny guy. He'll make our shitty dialogue work. And so instead, you have movie after movie where, th- where Ryan Reynolds actually seems like the least funny guy on the face of the earth because he's forced to deliver this terrible dialogue on the idea that he's so funny he'll save it. He's kind of got, like, obviously not as talented, but he's got the Bill Murray problem. Like, Bill Murray cannot save larger than life, right? Bill Murray cannot always make a scene winning just by him being there and improvising. See every terrible movie he was in from, like, 2000 on, where it's like, well, you get Bill Murray, and then all of a sudden Rock the Casbah works, and it's like, yeah... You still need, like, a concept or actors or some measure of dialogue and scenes that work as a movie. You can't just throw Bill Murray in and it's going to fix everything. And I feel like that was mostly Ryan Reynolds' career, with the exception of – until, like, the last few years. And I say this as someone who, embarrassingly, like, I was always rooting for Ryan Reynolds because I was a fan of um, – again, insert me being uh, someone who grew up in the 90s – uh, I was a, I was a big fan of two guys, a girl in a pizza place, and not because of the other guy or Trailer Howard, but because Ryan Reynolds was legitimately fucking hilarious on that show, at least in the sense of what I wanted out of as a 15-year-old watching sitcoms, right? Um, he was the funny one. He was the reason that I watched that show. I would imagine that a bunch of other people. And then to see him, like, I remember seeing Van Wilder in theaters, and I was, like, pretty psyched. I'm like... Oh, cool. And like, again, this comes out, I'm a freshman in college. And this person who I really liked on this TV show is doing a big movie where he's being the new Animal House guy. And I remember thinking it was fucking terrible when I saw it in theaters. And then I saw Buying the Cow, which is probably a movie only me and one other listener right now has ever heard of. And it was like so homophobic. Uh, and that movie is so homophobic and gross and a million other things. And he's so not funny in that. And it's just like, and then they never found anything. Like I, you know, I, he's like in the proposal, which I think gave him a boost. They give him a superhero movie, and it's Green Lantern, and he's in shit like this, where it's like, 
It's like he's supposed to paper over the fact that David Goyer is a terrible writer, especially of jokes. And obviously you don't have uh, Wesley Snipes saying hilarious, like, are you serious right now, motherfucker, type lines. And instead it's like, I know. What if Ryan Reynolds says uh, gay panic jokes for the whole movie? Uh, so he's terrible, yeah. in, like, he's terrible in this. But It's I think... also weird because Ryan Reynolds is one of the only people that's actually engaged and active in this movie. And he's engaged and active to exchange homophobic barbs with Triple H. He, he gained 25 pounds of muscle for this movie. He and was he, was so already, ex- he was already cut. Like, I've seen yeah. Just Friends. I've seen whatever, whatever the two guys are growing a pizza place thing he did after that show. Um I've yeah. seen all those. He's always he's always been like uh, unhealthy Hollywood lean. Uh, but I mean, he said he gained twenty five pounds of muscle, and he was so excited because he's a huge comic book guy, right? Which I guess is is has been made clear more and more over the last few years. So he's like, I'm going to play Hannibal King, and he read the comics, and Hannibal King is in the like the '90s comics that inspired all this stuff. He's like, I need to be a big guy. Although he's Hannibal King's a vampire in the comics, which I guess he is here too. But he he he, he, he broke the habit. I don't think in the comics that's true. He was actually one of uh, 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 Deacon Frost's like right hand man. Yeah, yeah. And there's this whole thing about him being like a a traitor to the to the vampire race. It's yeah. it's it's dumb. We've talked about yeah. we talked about yeah, the, the first episode. Yeah, the, the comics are not great. I like yeah. I I see him as like sincerely wanting to do well by the work and really hoping this is a break. And it's it's so embarrassing. Uh, it's so bad. Like I, I I literally in the same way I feel bad for Wesley Snipes watching this movie. I do feel bad for Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds uh, because- is, is is just throwing his body and throwing all of his charisma at the screen at a script that's homophobic and unfunny and just desperately begging out for an actual laugh line it's desperately begging out for like one one cool moment one moment where everyone in the theater goes oh and instead just we're all robbed of it ryan reynolds was robbed of it we were robbed of it what is your general like is that your take on ryan reynolds too like that he really was trying with nothing and like he he looks worse in some ways than other people because you can't paper over this bad of a movie. Um, I am generally um, I I I can't quite like give up on these actors that keep being in front of my face for forever, and because usually they end up surprising me. Like actors that I I fucking loathe end up doing like being really good in one or two movies. Um, like that happened with um. That happened with uh, like a few different actors actually in um, Triple uh, Triple Frontier. Um, like I was like I'm so fucking done with Ben Affleck, and then Ben Affleck is so good in Triple Frontier. Um, and like th- th- I try not to give up on actors in that way because I like to leave a little space for them to come back and surprise me because I know that very often uh, agents and producers control what scripts and what yeah. possibilities they get. So like Ryan Reynolds, I hated him and then I came back and I was like, you know, maybe he's kind of interesting. And now I'm kind of at a flat point. I'm like, well, he did get married at a plantation, which is pretty fucking bad. Um, yeah. But he seems to have tried to make reparations for that, like literal, like monetary reparations for that. Yeah. Um, so like, I, I've, I've, I'm more like a, a neutral position with him now. I do think that he overall, um, his character overall makes the movie worse. But Ryan Reynolds at least keeps me awake when I'm watching this movie, similar to Parker Posey. Parker Posey and Ryan Reynolds, I'm awake when they're on screen. I want to see whatever the fuck they're, they're doing. 
But when any other actor is taking over the screen, even my beloved Chris Christopherson, I am fading so fast. I think Parker Posey, for some reason, gets a pass because she was doing funny things in general. But she's, I mean, I have a note that, like, you made, you 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 let Parker Posey do over-the-top evil, which is such a good look on her anytime she does it. Yeah. And you made it embarrassing to watch. Like, I don't know, like, you can say whatever you want about how, how bad and staid Blade is in this movie. But the fact that you had so much potential talent in there and everyone is, like legitimate like i am embarrassed for parker posey and parker posey you know a lot of times when you see movies like this you're like well the movie sucked but at least the, you know so and so is so good at chewing scenery that they're fun to watch po- parker posey is not fun to watch it's like get her get her back in a christopher guest movie clearly david goyer whoever did the casting had seen a had seen a mighty win he grabbed a couple people from the cast. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, Parker Posey. There's John Michael Higgins. Are in yeah. it. Like, let him go back, uh, I guess, to make for your consideration or whatever. Yeah. And like, okay, so here, here's my argument for one of the reasons this movie sucks that I think might be an unlocking key to it. I think they changed whoever their vampire teeth vendor was. Because the vampire teeth in this movie are way bigger, and no actor, no actor with vampire teeth in comes off well. So, uh, Parker Posey, if you remember in Best in Show, comically has adult braces. I had adult braces. It's very uncomfortable. You talk funny. I was very concerned that I was going to have to take some time off from the show. I remember that. I was like, am I going to be able to talk normal? Because right now I talk like this. Um, It wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very concerned. We ended up recording literally that week, and I was totally fine. Though, I, and probably only I, can hear my voice differently in those episodes from that period. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless, adults with braces, like, it changes the way you speak because the way your lips can actually, like, uh, enunciate. You're very used to the way you speak, all that. Parker Posey in Best in Show, is able to enunciate every line and hit its intended emotional effect. I just watched Best in Show. I watch it maybe four times a year. Um, It's so fucking funny. She's able to nail every line. In this movie, she is stumbling over her words, clearly because she has a big fucking piece of plastic in her mouth. That is also the problem with Wesley Snipes. That's a problem with all of the vampire underlings. That's a problem with Triple H, who has the added problem of the being these weird, like, metal fangs. That's also a problem with Dracula in certain scenes, where he's trying to, like, lift up his, his upper lip so he can work around the mouthpiece. My contention is that this movie sucks. <laughs> For many reasons related to David S. Goyer. Um, but 50% because of those, uh, the, they changed whoever their teeth vendor is. And that's something... That's not a fucking problem in Blade Two or Blade One. That they they trained the they trained their actors to use the mouthpiece, whatever it was, in Blade One or Two. Yeah, because the only person who actually does an okay job in this movie is John Michael Higgins, and he does not have to wear a mouthpiece. Yeah, 
Yeah, and he's able to hit his his bad lines. He has almost no jokes. The only joke he has is basically a homophobic joke about like, well, Blade, if you're so interested in blood, aren't you interested in penetrating men or whatever? He he's basically making like a a reference to 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 there is Blade being Blade being gay and also Blade having mommy issues, and that's one of the things that sets Blade off. There is like no joke five or six deeply homophobic jokes in this movie. And I don't, besides David Goyer really being uh, an edgelord, which I guess is still present in his current work, where what if I make Superman mad at things? Um, He's super mad. Yeah, super mad. <laughs> um, mad of steel. <laughs> it, like the first couple, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, like was 2004 like i I don't want to blame this all on (laughs) 9-11 but like was there a weird resurgence that i'm not remembering like because was the 90s everyone kind of was like moving towards an idea of like accepting of like uh that that, like making fun of gay people wasn't cool and then like something about the weird pushback against uh, the value-based voters that happened made like 2003 to 2007 fucking much worse than like the previous 10 years at least from because like this is the i now pronounced you chuck and larry range too like it's i know like we we do enough movies from the 90s where like some pg movie someone says the other f word like i get it i'm, I'm being a little facetious here it's like but, half like the monster squad script I know, but it's, like, it's crazy how, like, the line here, anytime they want to insult Blade, is, like, are you gay? Like, it's, oh, it's, the, it's the, insane. The, the back, and, and then it, it, it's not just. And then Ryan Reynolds, too, right? It, Ryan it's Reynolds. clearly not a, it's clearly not a, um, these vampires are homophobes thing. Because Ryan Reynolds also is tossing off, like, dick jokes and... He's tossing off comments about uh, Triple H being gay and Triple H has a Pomeranian and it's supposed to be sort of emasculating for him to be really into this small dog. It's supposed to be funny, big man, small dog. It all just comes across as just homophobic shit. And I remember being like 13 when this movie came out and being like, why are why are they implying Triple H's character is gay? Why? What is the point? He's a vampire. He's he's already a vampire. Why are you? Why are you trying to guilt? Why are you trying to step up the scales by using homophobia? Like I was not like a super liberal thirteen year old. I'm sure I was still saying stuff was was. I'm sure I was still using slurs in some capacity when I was thirteen because yeah. I was a dumb fucking little white kid from the suburbs. But I my morals at least told me I was like this isn't right. This is a Hollywood movie. You spent you spent whatever sixty five million dollars on. I don't want to defend like. Oh, it's okay to do a gay joke if it's a joke. It's just like no Ryan Reynolds, but but even then, it's it literally is just like there's no laugh line besides like again the concept of gay people and Ryan Reynolds being like, uh, yeah, look in my butt, and then Parker Posey being like, you don't mean that you would never do that. Oh yes, I would. Like it is it's 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 not even a joke. It's just like. And those butt jokes go on forever. He's like, forever. My, he names every possible cheek. way to get something into it's his in butt. It's in my right like, butt cheek. It's in my butt meat. And I was like, 
You already named all the butt meats, Ryan Reynolds. Left or right cheek. You're out of butt. You're, out of, to make you're out of butt. You are literally out of butt to make jokes about, man. Yeah, and Parker. You are now, like, you're now the gross. butt of this joke. No, you didn't. Like, she's like this thousand-year-old vampire. And she's like, gross. No, you didn't. It's like, what is this? It's also, it's 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 just like one of the many bad tendencies is, in this movie is to uh, go for hyper- uh, out outward masculinity yeah I, yeah i couldn't agree with you more and it's also just weird because like the movie was the movies before this were just completely devoid of this kind of bullshit right like, no like its idea of masculine was like taking care of others and being kind yeah. and trying to the idea of masculinity there was like defending yourself and defending your humanity and like it was not it was <laughs> defending your friends it was not about like well who is a woman or a gay man we can put down like it's so weird that after the last movie that was so much about um standing up nisa as her own character and yeah. her and she plays so much of a role in the plot um after that movie they were like mm, what if this one is also super misogynistic and has a bunch of uh sex jokes about uh parker posey being a nympho yeah it is uh it, it just goes in a in like the laziest direction possible. lazy lazy la- lazy lazy shit that appealed to no one no one i mean no one liked it like um but it, it's 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 one of those it's worth discussing because the toxicity that clearly appeared behind the scenes is clearly is present <laughs> in the movie too yeah. like it's not just a bad movie it's a movie that like makes me anger angry at like how how much it's trying to be cool by just being like the worst kind of 2004 era edgelord. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I feel like there's no good way to transition into the main plot. No, yeah. Might as well I, just... I, I was always... I was about to say... I do have a couple of other things I want to say, but I was about to say, maybe... We'll, can we just end it? Can we not go into the plot? Because I don't care enough about this movie to do it. But um, we'll spend a little time on it. Yeah, I have more. I have more thoughts on where this movie fails and why it fails, and uh, other than just ragging on this thing for being a piece of shit. So yeah, um, and I do. I my main concern is talking about what is supposed to be going on with Natasha Leon's character. That's the only thing I want to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah, can we just talk about that for an hour? Like what is what is happening? All right, we'll get there. Peter, do you want to talk about the Father, the Son, and the Blade Trinity? <laughs> Amen. Blade. Ready to die. I was born ready, motherfucker. Through the rays of light To this beat of vampire I'm the prototype 
The shape shifting mirror image flash phototype The everlasting division the red blood type He was born perfect And just like the great white shark This guy has never had to fall Aaron What sort of alternate taglines are you thinking of For Blade Trinity uh, It should be called Blade Wanity Cause it's a third as good as it thinks it is <laughs> Blade wannabe. What is a, what is it? What's a, is it just a guy? Is that what a wannabe is? Uh, yeah. Who are, who are the Trinity in Blade? It's the third movie. So it's the Blade, the Blade 2, and the Blade Trinity? I, I think so. Yeah. Wow, we really like, are. there's nothing in here that's, that's Trinity based, right? I think it's just him. I think it's a cool name for the third movie. There's well, in, in, in the filmmaker's mind, right? Yeah. Um, if there was like Blade and then two Draculas, I could be like, there's a trinity of Daywalkers, but it's just not there. Anyways, you want me to I mean, the plot? Do you think that do you think the trinity is Jessica Beale, Ryan Reynolds, and Blade? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, Jessica Beale's character's name is Trinity. That's obvious. No, it's not. No, it's like, if it's you, like it, it's Abby. Or I had to think for a second, because what, what's her name? I have no idea. Abby. Oh, yeah. She was Abby supposed to be a character from the comics, too. And then um, she, she was supposed to be the Van Helsing. Yeah, she was supposed to be, because like Rebecca, I think it's Rebecca Van Helsing. Oh, is oh, like, oh. So I was going to say, West, Whistler is a is an original creation to the, the Yeah, movie. but then but then they found out the Van Helsing movie was coming out. And they're like, oh, well, we don't want to seem like we're doing that. Because apparently the people that I have in mind for Blade Trinity don't think that Stephen Summers invented Van Helsing. Uh, um, hot, hot take. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is like at least a star and a half, if not two, better than Van Helsing or Blade Trinity. I'm sure Van Helsing is... I haven't seen League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Van Helsing is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, so what happens in this dumb fucking stupid movie? And we begin in the Middle <laughs> East. Um, you know, oh. cre- credit for this movie for not doing the Muslim call to prayer. Hold, hold on. Let's talk about this, though. Uh, re- I'm interrupting you immediately, but we already referenced it. So it was supposed to take place in Iraq. And uh, Did something a happen bunch in of- Iraq in the early 2000s? Fun fact, Peter. Yeah. And yes, you can blame it all on 9-11. <laughs> Not in the way you might think. I want to blame um, it all on 9-11. Here's the reason. So New Line Cinema told Goyer, you can't say Iraq because no one would believe. This is 100% true, and it's the dumbest reason to change this. That an unmarked helicopter could fly over Iraq without getting shot down by the U.S. military in 2004 and so like, this is actually an amazing opportunity to pivot and have all this take place in the midst of a battle scene yeah or something like a million different ways so goyer was like okay fine it's syria i guess spend the a bunch of money is- so you're probably shooting in 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 fucking like north africa or wherever you felt whatever was cheapest or probably like namibia or you know in south africa um you probably were shooting somewhere very cheap to shoot. Like, <laughs> spend some money there. Like, have a big battle scene open up the movie where they're, like, sneaking in through a battle to go wake up Dracula. 
Yeah, again, I'm not trying to cinema-sins it, but it is funny that that's the reason they changed it, but then no one went throughout the rest of the movie to change it to serious. So there's three or four times characters reference to where they found Dracula, and it's always a rack. And I imagine if you were really paying attention, that would have been very confusing. Did like, I Iraq really saw, Syria. am I going crazy because I saw Syria? What happened in Iraq? Is my <laughs> DVD broken? <laughs> God. Um, so yeah, we, we, we open up with a bunch of commandos wearing uh, very heavy armor and face guards. One of them flicks off the sun. Yeah. I wonder if one of them is a Dracula. You could stop right there because the idea of these this armor that like lets you go out in the hot desert when you're vampires, that's cool. What's it's not so cool? cool? Flipping off the sun. It's David Goyer bullshit where you're like, yeah. you see all these guys, it, it, all these, 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 uh, you know, these, these uh, big commando guys um, getting off a helicopter. They are heavily fucking armed for no reason. Um, and they're walking up a massive pyramid and that immediately is clicking in with my Indiana Jones vibes. Yeah. It's clicking in with my, uh, now it's clicking in with my Hellboy vibes where you're like. I like I like anything where the vampires figure out a way to be out in daylight. Like I liked the sunscreen stuff in the first blade. Like, aren't like, these guys is... super hot? And you're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, son, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> gotcha. Where's Ashton? Stopping your your super secret mission to re- revive Dracula to give the middle finger to a celestial body. I just want a I just want a copy of this movie and it's exactly the same except for in that opening shot the sun just shakes shakes an angry yellow fist at Triple H. Oh, nothing I can do about it. <laughs> you beat me. <laughs> uh, but anyways, they they wake up Dracula. Dracula is a um uh, a predator, Bram Stoker's Dracula style monster with like you know m- uh, Middle Ages armor, and then the movie uh, cuts away from uh them presumably all being murdered, but don't worry, they're not murdered. Yeah, they're all fine. So like, this is a probably. Why would good- you worry about them being murdered just because this giant like predator mouthed monster is starting to suck it down on some of the guys there this is probably that a good point fine. to mention that this plot is essentially multiple scripts sewn together and the separate plot points don't reference each other too much and occasionally the actual plot lines that are contiguous such as parker posey and triple h with dracula um those plot lines don't even reference each other that that well no so like the script is very much a compromised piece it's three or four scripts put together there's this whole blood bag sequence that's essentially uh that a bunch of um i'm just gonna tell that part of the plot right now because it doesn't matter um this blood bag sequence where they find out that homeless people have been kidnapped and turned into blood bags and the idea is that once mankind is wiped off of the earth there'll still be you know blood farms that we can use um that vampires can use to to get their blood supply um yet you know mankind will not be the dominant government anymore they'll they'll be these blood bags it's a very fucking cool idea that they also already hinted at in the first movie they showed us a little bit more of it in the second movie and then when they finally put all this money into this big blood bag sequence because david goyer wanted it to be in the first two movies and couldn't get it until he was the director it is completely apropos of nothing dracula doesn't reference it parker posey doesn't reference it 
None yeah. of the other villains reference it except for that's just something happening in the background, which is a big problem. This movie is using Holocaust imagery and then just 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 throwing it out in the wind. Just saying they, they literally refer to this this moment as the vampire's final solution. Yeah. And it's just and, it's just thrown out in the wind. Well, and also like, yeah, Drac. I'm still very confused at what Dracula has to do with any of it, except mm. that they're like, Blade keeps beating us. Can you kill Blade? Which is a dumb reason to summon Dracula when you actually seem to be doing relatively well, considering um, your whole, you have the military, <laughs> you, got a lot of, you got a lot of things um, going on. And then it's uh, like, it's not like it's this idea of like, hey, we're going to. We're going to continue on this plot that, like you said, has been established through, like, this order. And also, as much as, like, I think the laziest thing for a uh, vampire series to do is to say, how about we bring motherfucking Dracula? Like, one of the most derided episodes of Buffy is, like, the season premiere, the the fifth season premiere of Buffy has, it's called Buffy versus Dracula. It's like, hey, we've been fighting vampires. What if Dracula shows up? And it's generally a universally derided episode. It's not very good. It doesn't, like, work. However, I can see it working in this because one, the I, idea yeah. of like a. Fort- I'm glad you're on the same page with me. I'm I'm pro the concept of Dracula being in this. Me too. Uh, a because I like how they have him instead of like this like middle ages like sad boy like this idea of like this, uh you know almost like alien force, who has existed for four thousand years is a good one, um, and. Like stealing the the evolution of the vampire design of like the mouth's opening from the previous movie is a good look. Like though it, it does kind of do it dirty, where they kind of like are like, uh, this was scary in the last movie, and Del Toro came up with it. Let's just use it again. Yeah, but I mean that's fu- like I love the idea of what if the evol and and remember the. I like the idea if we're going to Monday morning quarterback like where this plot could have really worked is that like part of the second movie was. Uh, vampires trying to um, essentially like evolve out their weaknesses through like genetic manipulation so that they could be in the sun. They weren't allergic to garlic that they had like a rib cage protecting their heart. And like they had mouths that like could feed on other vampires as well and stuff like that. Right. Yes. Um, That's how fucking cool would it be if you go and say, Oh, as we uncover Dracula, uh, that it, you could almost go to like Udo Kier was right. The problem wasn't uh, the problem wasn't that um, we had all these evolutionary weaknesses that we needed to to get out. Like the the idea that the original Dracula didn't have any of those weaknesses. Right? We see him walk in the sun. He has this the mouth. He has the the ability to do things that the other vampires don't do. And like. I don't know. Maybe do something with that. Like that's an inter- that that's like you you thought you had reached an evolutionary dead end, and we're trying to use technology to to eliminate your your species weakness. And now you find out that like your species origin didn't have any of those weaknesses. And like also the other reason it works for Blade is Blade started in fucking Tomb of the Dracula, right? Like Dracula was his main antagonism. Or antagonist um, in in those things. Like, it's not like you're introducing it unnecessarily. The concept of Dracula was also an antagonism to him. Very much, yeah. The concept of a Dracula. Uh, Vampires, Draculas. So, Um, yeah, not Dracula as, as like, you know, a proper noun, but, like, the concept, like, lowercase Dracula was very, it, it antagonized him. 
It kept him up at night. Agreed. But like, so like all that stuff kind of like, it's, it doesn't feel like a weird hokey addition. It actually is kind of bringing it full circle with, with that stuff. And again, I find a lot of the things about like the way Dracula presents in this movie potentially interesting is like, uh, uh, you know, leading back to where all these things have gone. Like it had, because of the again, if you're talking about like uh, eugenics and stuff like that, again, you're referencing some pretty dark um, things. But these are I, I don't know these are these are villains, and I the idea that like Dracula is a Hitler or something like that isn't necessarily the worst way to go with some of the material, as long as like I like I think that is different than like a, a genocidal leader who promises people a way out of their weakness is a better direction than like only casually referencing the holocaust yeah right? like so those are two different things here's like, my here's my take yeah um the first movie was very much about vampire strife within that 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 vampire cartel the vampire family and it was very much about uh the old families being destabilized the second well movie, the idea that like a lack of purity was detrimental to their species which you're kind of presented as like that being like an old way of thinking, right? Yes. And yeah, the pure blood thing um, still is never really elaborated on in the, in the movies, which is actually a strength because it shows how, how silly it is. Like are vampires giving birth to babies? I don't know. That seems like something. That, well, they are. That, that right? seems That's... like something that the, the, the series doesn't really need to delve into. I don't need to see blade hacking up vampire babies. Um, but uh, it picks up on that strife from the first one. It uh, sorry, let's let's pick up on the strife from the first one. The second one is about the old school vampire family saying, "We've lost, like, we've lost this battle. I have constantly done everything I can to keep us, our heads above water, and it's not happening. And Blade is a big reason why." You know what Blade's strength is? Blade can walk around in the daytime. Let's mutate. Let's get rid of this this pure blood bullshit. I will literally sacrifice my pure blood vampire family to bring us to the next evolutionary level. Then yeah. we get to Blade. Blade and science fails them. Um, well, yeah. sci- sci- science actually works pretty well. It's just Blade. Fi- Blade destroys their science. Um, we get to the third one, and they're, like, going back to their roots as a species. They're retreating almost like cultists as roots yeah. to their species and saying, who who created us, this Dracula figure? Um, the movie is deeply embarrassed by the concept of Vlad the Impaler, Vlad the Impaler in Transylvania and Romania. They're, it's deeply embarrassed by that idea. They literally change his name to Drake. Yeah. And... But they make it into sort common, of... Common, like, common name 4,000 years ago. Yeah. And, like, that's one of those things where it's like, well, Drake probably does come from the name Draken and, like, whatever. You, you can just, like, fucking... Like, you can go back through the line and it still is is, is kind of cringy. Um, and so science didn't kill Blade. Why not our, our religious heritage? Why... If Blade is trying to destroy us as a species, why not return back to our origin as a species? And also, if we're going to return back to origin as a species, we're also returning to the origin of the comic book, which Blade originated as... He, he didn't have his own comic book line. He originated yeah. as somebody who was fighting Dracula in Dracula comics. And I, I actually really like the idea of having a Dracula, conceptually. 
the the problem yeah. is it's it's execution. Um, I love the idea. Blade has like completely defeated the the modern the modern uh, vampire. He has completely undermined their ability to you know blend in with our society. So vampires become crazy cultists going back to their source. Instead, yeah. what this comes off as is uh, oh we need a weapon. Um, Dracula is a weapon. Yeah, um, and then maybe he can beat Blade. Yeah, he can beat Blade. But mind you, what ends up happening in this movie, and I'll go through the plot really quickly. Hold on. Before you get to uh, – I do want to pin there that, like, in a vacuum, I like the way that Drake ends it with Blade because it does speak to something interesting that the movie literally doesn't know what to do with. But um, – and doesn't match no anything idea. that came – Came before, yeah, but like, but that's uh, that's the thing is he's it's interesting ever. It. Although, what he hold on, last thing bags. I need to say, we don't know what Peter. he thinks about blood bags. We don't know what he thinks about Parker Posey. We don't know what he thinks about the future of the vampire race. Really, like, we don't know what he thinks about anything because he's not a character. He's yeah, he's just walking around going blade. He I'm, says one interesting line. Yeah, he says you yeah. shouldn't have woken me, and yeah. that is the last time Dracula is intriguing. The rest of the movie, he says over and over again, blade ready to die. Yeah, That's until not- the very end when he's like, oh, actually, uh, I don't want to kill you because you actually make – you being the new evolution of the vampires yeah. makes the most sense. You're good. This is this is what I wanted for my species. You're you're him, which makes no sense with anything no. that ever came – how awesome would it have been if, like, he, like, was woken by those guys and then meets Blade and is like, oh, I'm on your side. Fuck all these vampires. Like, it turned against all, like, the vampires. And so you have Blade and Dracula teaming up to finally take down the, the vampires. But no. So, pseudo-spoiler. I mean, like, a big, thing about, a big thing about the Castlevania series is that Dracula very often, this Dracula character, or uh, Alucard, um, doesn't like most of the, the vampires around him. Yeah. And that makes the Castlevania anime series really good. Uh, so yeah, um, we'll, we'll we'll get there. Blade is out on his typical hunt, and just I'm gonna park on the action really quickly. The action is at best competent. It's not it's not as bad as the rest of the movie. I disagree because they have stunt doubles, and you can't like part of the cool shit is that you know uh, Wesley Snipes is actually a martial artist, and so seeing him do a lot of the stunts and is being a cool cool ass action. And here you have either like weird close ups of him just holding a sword and not moving. Yes. Or terrible far away shots that were choreographed specifically so that you don't know it's not Wesley Snipes. Yes, the, the the action sequences are not great. They but you know occasionally there's a moment like he throws a he throws his uh you know boomerang uh silver blade and then he jumps from one platform to another to catch it. Like that's a cool little moment, but like. Largely, the action sequences are just shitty rehashes of the last two movies. That's kind of all I want to say there. It's yeah. they are without impact. There's there's no impact to them. We've talked about this a lot in the show where it's like you can move the camera fast. You can do a lot of editing. You can do whatever you want with the fucking camera. But I need to feel the impact. I need to feel mm-hmm. that these the, otherwise it's it's it's. It's sex without coming. It's just yeah. it's just movement and movement and movement, but the movement never never literally comes to anything. And I I use that metaphor because like it's it is like I think a helpful metaphor for how action sequences are supposed to be. Action sequences are supposed to be exchanges between bodies and energy. And if that energy doesn't go anywhere, it's just kind of 
it just keeps going. It just keeps tumbling forward. That energy needs to connect with something. I need to feel like bodies are connecting. I need to feel action. I need to feel impact. Impact, impact. And this movie has no fucking impact. And especially in the key sequences. Like, when the main characters get murked, you feel nothing. And there's an action sequence when the movie begins. It's whatever. At best, competent. Blade is chasing all these guys. He stakes a guy. He comes ask the guy, like, why didn't you turn to Silver? There's a lot of people around. Or, why didn't you turn to Ash? There's all these people around. Uh, and he says, like, gotcha, Blade. You killed a human. And then helicopters show up. Parker Posey is filming him. And she goes, <laughs> oh, Blade. So this movie begins with a fucking wrongly accused plot because a guy takes out plastic fangs in his mouth and Blade actually killed a familiar in a public pattern. But also later in the movie, Blade admits that he kills like he's killed like eleven hundred familiars. Killed tons of familiars, yeah. I don't I don't fucking get it. Which we brings... we talked about one of the smartest things Ugh. in the first movie is how they just let besides like the the cop being a familiar and like cops showing up at the crime scene afterwards that they rightfully like don't want to get bogged in on like blade being a part of the real world justice system now yeah cops are just cops are 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 just one one more silly obstacle they are not an actual power player in this they are they are um they're a facade for the powers that be as a black superhero that's the way you want it to be i don't ever want to see the cops and be like yeah i kind of get their perspective um, so James Remar is in this movie. James Remar is totally fucking wasted. He's a great character actor. Um, he's one of the only good parts of certain seasons of Dexter. He's in Warriors. He's in a lot of Walter Hill movies. Like, James Remar is a really good actor. He's totally fucking wasted here as an FBI agent. Yeah, he's pretty bad in this. Yeah, so, um, Blade, uh, ends up going back to his, uh, his hideout. He has a very shitty conversation with Whistler that is just establishing their history together before Whistler can be sacrificed. Just want to park here really quickly. Um, I don't want to park park here Posey because she's not in the scene, but I want to park here really quickly. Um, Whistler is played by Chris Christopherson, who is someone I, I, I love. He's a great country artist, great actor, just a, 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 an all-around badass. And he's in this movie... And he is clearly just cashing in a paycheck against another actor who is clearly just trying to get the fuck through the sequences. And Chris Christopherson gets murdered in this movie so ignominiously. And it's such a slap in the face that, like, if I didn't have hundreds of other bad things to say about this movie, this would still leave an awful taste in my mouth. Like, just don't bring Whistler back. Just say Whistler's Whistler Whistler's off hunting vampires in China or some shit. Like say Whistler Whistler's in Antarctica or something. Like just if you don't bring him back just as a cheap way to add drama because it utterly fails. Um, though it is pretty cool to see Whistler uh, shotgunning cops as they invade his uh, his compound because that's a moment where you're like these are just normal cops. These aren't even familiars. And, and, and Whistler's just like whatever. <laughs> The thing about Whistler being in this movie, and then he comes back as a vampire. I know I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I do think it leads to the only funny in the wrong way point in this movie where it's like the idea that when Abigail Whistler shows up and that somehow Whistler throughout all his time with Blade has a second unit that he's been working through with his daughter 
and it's expl- and then and then Blade's like, I thought, I thought Whistler's family was killed by vampires. <laughs> like, who are you? And she's like, Yeah, I'm another one. Uh, I'm a I'm an illegitimate kid he had out of wedlock. <laughs> And he set me oh, up. Oh yeah! Like also, this. She like, says, oh okay, great. Like wedlock, and both me and my wife went to each other and were like, "Wedlock? Is she seventy and Catholic?" I know. Like, like it's like whole oh, Whistler's entire thing is that his family was killed by vampires, and then he has this other kid that he just he knew about but ignored until recently and then trained them like i'm gonna set you up you're a vampire fighter you're gonna have a whole secret club that are gonna be vampire fighters but keep this separate from my only friend and confidant just in case we ever need a backup plan yeah like, it's, it's like it, it's it so should be crazy. played by a fucking will forte character like like just being like all right i know this is completely crazy but here's what's going on right now <laughs> and and she she's miserable in this movie um and a lot of it is the action direction. A lot of it is the dramatic direction. I do not blame Jessica Biel. She is. I don't blame anyone in this movie. I, I blame David Goyer. Um, I blame David Goyer and every other producer that's not Wesley Snipes. So painfully earnest. She doesn't have a moment of levity to make you like her. She doesn't have a thing that Whistler has, that easy sort of charm, which is like, obviously a lot of that comes from just being like a, a storied old guy. Who just like has like he has like just a history in his face that you cannot get from a twenty something year old. I'm sorry, but like write her good lines, and not funny lines, but like lines that actually make us feel like she's a badass, or have the action sequences that introduce her actually feel badass, as opposed to this weird uh, bait and switch thing where she dresses like uh, a like a. <laughs> vietnam war era homeless person at, with a fake baby that cries and these vampires want to <laughs> yeah, eat babies also baby. also in this movie all of a sudden vampires want to eat babies which is something that was not in previous movies and like sure it makes sense vampires are supposed to be bad blah 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 but in the previous movies there was this weird sort of thing where it was like is blade throwing himself too far into this war are vampires actually a true source of evil or is it just the vampire hierarchy just part just part of the part of the ecosystem yeah 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 and this idea that random vampires want to eat babies all of a sudden it links into this this like whole it's happening here i need to, <laughs> i need to talk about the holocaust you already talked about the holocaust i need to talk about it again so <laughs> so these vampires it's been start a real Holocaust Hitler heavy. I know, I know, I know. So these vampires they want to eat this baby, and that also links back to like blood libel. This idea that like, oh well, what do we do to make these people seem evil? Well, they want to drain the blood from babies. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying that wanting to kill babies is is you know automatically anti-Semitic, but paired with everything else in this movie, the final solution blood bags thing, uh, final, and, and they're clearly linking vampires to eugenics there's a survival of the fittest thing where um homeless people and people that society deems you know easy to get rid of the the less dead and sort of you know uh crime crime terminology um are allowed to be drained for their blood and no one will notice if they're gone and that's also something from the previous movies this idea that vampires are sort of like uh survival of the fittest uh eugenics and fascists it 
is is an escalation. That's a fairly massive fucking escalation. Yeah, because they're kind of the mob or capitalists in the first one. Yeah, and the, and it and seems like they're, they were like, they're evil scientists in the second one. In the first movie, it seemed yeah, yeah. And in the first movie, it seems like they were like the elite because you know that they, yeah. they had they had worked to uh, you know survive to take take their place at the top of the totem pole, but they weren't fascists, um, so to speak. And there's all this fascism iconography in the movie like there's this moment late in the movie where that has absolutely no impact on the rest of the plot where they they're basically hinting the whole movie that blade can now breathe silver and if if an if a vampire is near him uh same with uh jessica this comes back to um jessica beale's character abby that she at one point blows silver in a guy's face uh during this first fight um there's a sequence where silver is pouring in through the vents and all these guys, all these vampires start choking, and then they're just fine. Which is yeah. clearly also like they, yeah, they didn't stop pumping into the, the silver. <laughs> yeah, it's completely fucking pointless. They were setting yeah. all this stuff up, and then it was like, oh, I guess Blade didn't put enough silver in the fence. I don't know. I do think though the one thing that really resonated in 2021 is when the vampires go to eat the fake baby and then uh, like drink its blood, and then you know they. Turns out that it's actually Jessica Biel ready to kill him, and then the vampire's hoods come off, and it's like Hillary Clinton and the Pope, and they're talking about Adenochrome. I thought (laughs) they were. This movie is really up on the Adrenochrome um, scenario. They were like, "Ah, finally our Adrenochrome!" And then they go, (laughs) "They want to suck the blood of baby." Yeah, like so all this all this links back to Holocaust shit in a weird way. The gas in the vents, and then. Um, I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but like the end of the movie is there's there Natasha Leone's character develops essentially her own final solution to get rid of vampires, which is a virus that only infects vampires that kills them. Yeah, and that made sense for the Borg. I don't know how that's going to work for, for vampires. Like, they don't, is there a vampire? They don't, they don't have, like, transparent blood. I don't know. It's is so there a vampire now. in a cave somewhere just eating, eating a baby? It's just like... Well, I'm glad I'm not out there with a vampire killing spore. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. But it's the idea that they need the the pure blood to make the the final solution, which is just like a lot of words that I don't like. In yeah, my, um, and they're, in my they're, bad comic book. They're movies. using they're using an escalation, um, which is Blade can finally get rid of all the vampires, and it begins to when you do something that's such a massive escalation on that point, it begins to. Um, bring in the G word. Um, and when you're talking about uh, a genocide of an entire race, you begin to ask questions where you're like, well, blade killing, uh, you know, blood sucking gangsters in a back alley or blade killing, you know, the vampire cartels, you know, that seems fine because they're actually trying to raise blood gods and raise, raise up these, these vampire mutants. Yeah. And they're actually trying to like hunt people on the streets. That seems a little different than your average, you know, vampire just trying to like be alive. And, you know, they might've been infected on accident. Like they literally maybe didn't have control over the fact that they became a vampire and it starts you start asking all these fucking awful questions that the movie has not established the movie has not established that vampires 
truly are an existential threat to mankind that need to be wiped out. They establish that, you know, uh, uh, Demoskinos and and, uh, and La Magra and uh, Deacon Frost yeah. and in this movie, Dracula, like all of them need to be wiped out 100%. <clears throat> but they haven't established that like a random ass vampire in the mountains needs to be wiped out like at all. Well, yeah, the interesting thing is the idea and I, Daywalkers does this too, which is a movie that maybe we should just do at some point. But I do like the idea of, okay, like, if you're going to follow the logic, we are vampires' food sources. So, like, what do you do with your food source? Typically, you don't violently murder them for fun, but you figure out how to make it sustainable to feed your society. And, like, that is something that I find interesting because the genocide, you know, doesn't quite make sense, but, but... the idea, like, of how do we preserve a food source is, like, is at least an interesting way for the sophisticated vampire capitalist to go to, right? Like, 100%. And there's a, there's also a line at the end of the movie, really quickly, before we get to her, is um, Ryan Reynolds at the end of the movie says, um, everyone knows war never ends, which is one of those things that sounds really profound but has absolutely no fucking meaning especially not in this movie because if you've killed all the vampires the war is fucking over man clearly (laughs) blade was or wesley snipes was supposed to do a a voiceover at the beginning of the end and refused to and they have ryan reynolds do it and it just makes no sense anyway um so yeah the the that that all that we're we're getting where we need to go basically uh, blade gets blade gets (laughs) captured by cops uh hannibal king and uh, abigail whistler save blade they bring him back to their their sleeper cell um they 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 wake up a um they they start a virus that can uh um kill all the vampires but they need to put it into dracula dracula is introduced as a character and he is slightly intimidating because he's on a heat map and he's eating uh, a victim and it's like kind of scary for like three seconds. Yeah. And then from that point on, Dracula is not intimidating the rest of the movie. He's just a himbo. He's like this. Yeah. He's this like. Also, I, I got to say, I'm not even looking up the actor's name. This actor. he was Dominic prison, something. Dominic. Dominic Purcell. Dom. We'll call him. Dom. I don't know why I remember his name, but Dominic Purcell. He is a headshot. He is someone who is is just like you can tell why he is cast in a movie. He has a dramatic headshot. He's got this big, broad, muscular head. He's handsome as fuck. He's cut. Like, he's hot. But he is not... He's not compelling. He's not compelling at all. And what's funny is they take him from being this, like, demon hunting down vampires in this, like, thermal scope. Like, he's a fucking animal being caught on one of those, tr- those like, uh, tree cams that, you know, uh, rural people will sometimes put in their property to catch, like, deers doing weird shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he goes from, like, that kind of strange cryptid to... Um, Killing two 19-year-old uh, Hot Topic employees for disrespecting the name of Dracula. Oh, yeah. Oh, he goes to the Dracula shop and find. I totally forgot that he goes to the Dracula store. You know, the Dracula store. Oh, yeah. Everybody and, knows the Dracula store. And he it's goes there. It's a very and, focused Hot Topic. Yes. And he goes in there and people are talking about Dracula and he gets so angry that Dracula's name is associated with vampire stuff that's like that's such a weird like 
invasion of pop like movies are usually pretty good unless their whole thing is like self-aware about not being like okay well we can't have vampires exist and then also and then also like all the vampire stuff that we all live with every day right like something about that doesn't quite work ryan reynolds literally pulls out a tomb of dracula comic (laughs) when when blade's like who woke up Ryan Reynolds doesn't say Dracula. He shows him a Tomb of Dracula comic. And, like, I don't know. It's not a Kevin Smith movie. What What the fuck is this? Yeah. And they did this They did this in Hellboy. And he goes, like, they never get the eyes right or whatever. Um, but that's but That's, that's great, a cute he's comic in a jokey moment. They, Dracula has the ability to walk around in daylight for no fucking reason. No fucking reason. Except for that motivates, I guess, Parker Posey to be like, Parker Posey doesn't even want talk about wanting Dracula's powers. Parker Posey talks about wanting to wake up Dracula to kill Blade. To kill Blade. And she yeah. is able to capture Blade almost successfully. She pulls off a... By the, poli- the police capture him. An incredibly and they apparently complicated kill- plot. They say, they, say they, they have like five minutes of, what are you, gay? weirdo and then he gets rescued by ryan reynolds jessica Beale. thank god or else i guess blade finally would have got would have been killed yeah this unstoppable machine you have to you have to wake up a god to kill him and he's like cuffed and fine yeah and it's also one of those things where like they needed to go this through this elaborate plot sacrificing their own to kill blade and you're like um blade is a black man and cops are looking for him can't like, I think you can take... Do you guys not understand what world you live in? Like, in the present... Like, no fantasy. Like, the world you live in today, right now. Like, um, it's it's just very... It's, it's, it's very delusional. It's very, like... It's very much a comic book writer being like, I'm gonna modernize these concepts of Dracula. And what he ends up doing is, is flailing wildly, trying to come up with a way to justify that his plot is cool. That's the ultimate problem in this movie, is it's just constantly striving to be fucking cool. And it fails. It fails, like, time and time again. There's, I don't want to get into it, but, like, the entire Night Stalkers crew, and by the way, oh my while God. we're here... They were going to make a spinoff with the Night Stalkers. Night Stalkers, Probably, yeah. We talked about this briefly, but, like, this is one of the reasons was he snaps was so pissed off. They were clearly trying to set up his replacement for after these movies. Also, has that ever worked? Like, is there an example of, like, of that working? Like, people know, like, the Mission Impossible. Like, okay, we're going to get rid of Tom Cruise. We're going to bring in Renner. Like... Maybe in video Ooh. games, but even not in even in video games where people just want it to be fun. Yeah, people but, love Metal Gear Solid too. <laughs> yeah, people love Metal Gear Solid Revengeance. Yeah, I don't uh, even I don't even know if video games are willing to accept this. It's basically just the comic book world. Yeah, but that's doing it over like again. You're not like you don't get the one comic every three years, and Batman is played like but by Alfred in disguise, right? Like that's part of a monthly thing that you get into or whatever. I, it's just like it's such a dumb concept. It's such a studio. Like, what if we get rid of like? Okay, so Blade is good. People love Blade. What if you have these other people fight some vampires? Yeah. Oh, do you want to just make a different movie? So they give them nah. these, need- these needlessly complex weapons to try and make them cool, and they're so ugly. All of the costume and weapon design in this movie is hideous. Like, the, the, there's a final fight against Dracula in this movie wherein 
we're in a we're in a modern open concept office oh building yeah. and it fucking looks like blade Gosh. it fucking looks like blade is fighting through the twitter staff to get to dracula and it is ridiculous it, there's guys in hawaiian shirts that he's staking there's they're all skinny guys he doesn't there's no heavies he's taking on none of these guys have like intimidating like combat armor like in blade 2 where it's like Oh, Blade is kicking the shit out of what looks like cops or military people. Like, you know, people that, like, should be able to kick his ass, but Blade's a badass, so he can do it. Instead, it's like, I think I could beat up that guy one-on-one. I think I could beat up that guy one-on-one. They're all just, like, some of them are are literally, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. Some of them are wearing Hawaiian shirts. Some of them have, like, long hair. They're all super skinny. Like, I don't know where they got their stunt stock from, but all of them just look like tech employees yeah it's i mean it's just all wrong and off and and bad and at the end you know uh they capture well so whistler becomes a vampire just to fuck with abigail and captures hannibal oh oh it's not whistler becoming a vampire it's dracula's posing as oh that's right whistler. he shapeshifts into him sorry whistler's whistler's dead so oh so instead of turning into wolves or bats or shit like in the in he the, can turn uh, into humans in the uh awesome coppola bram stoker's dracula um coppola's bram stoker's dracula um uh he gets to turn into like plagues of rats and wolves and bats and like he gets to turn in these forces of nature and actually is kind of scary instead he's like haha you thought i was john michael higgins do you remember me <laughs> do, do you remember me i was i was a uh, a gay stereotype and best in show um, do you uh well yeah and also they make fun of the idea of being able to turn into bats and wolves they're like well like not like bats and wolves, classic, <laughs> but like people. This is like classic self conscious comic book bullshit that's bleeding over from the nineties. Where like the the nineties were both a great and awful time for comic books because they helped they helped uh, push us over the the cliff of like worrying about uh, appealing to you know parents who are buying these comics for eight year olds. But also, uh, it was a terrible time for edge lord bullshit where they were like. Well, let's throw everything out the window that works about this character, and then eventually you're left with a Dracula that's just like a hunky guy walking around and has absolutely no character, no will, no desires. Here's here's gonna be my hot take, and we don't have time for this, so I'm gonna give it. And like, I actually think the '90s part of it is okay. I think you're right. There's a lot of edge lord dumb stuff in the '90s. However. It is a time where technically the comics code is still in effect. They just realize they're not enforcing it. They, they're they getting more and more freedom from all the shit that happened in the late 80s and realizing that they can be an adult. I think there is a little bit like it's – it's a little bit like how uh, half the college is on academic probation your first semester at college, right? Because because you, you are all of a sudden given um, a freedom that you haven't had before. To not show up to school if you don't want to, to stay up all night, to drink as much as you want, and blah, blah, blah. And, like, there is a little bit of of uh, rump spring of, like, hey, we finally get to do all the shit that we didn't get to do. Let's do it all. Let's do all the things we weren't uh, able to do. And so, like, I do see the 90s as a little bit of that. I do think in the 2000s is where it really becomes sad. And you have... 
And I, I think this movie is an example of this. I think writers like David Goyer are an example of this. And like the weirdly my like platonic, platonic ideal of how misguided this shit was and how like, and I think the platonic idea, platonic ideal of why 2000 to 2005 was such a nadir of like movies is because like, it's the old adage. If you're trying to be cool, if you're focused on being cool, you're by definition not being cool, right? 100%. And there is a little bit of coolness to all these excited guys getting to draw storylines that they didn't get to or, or or make movies that have a little bit more freedom to be uh, R-rated or stuff like that. In the 2000s was when they decided, like, studios were like, okay, we got to be cool. We got to be hip. We have to be more PG-13. And I do think Triple X is the, like, platonic ideal of where blockbusters and pop culture went wrong. Because that is a movie that, like, its entire advertising was based on James Bond's old and stupid. And this guy, this is a this is for the 2000, for the new millennium. He's a cool super spy. And the whole movie is so focused on everyone being cool that it's, like, a boring terrible lame gay panicky movie that everyone hated and i think like that's exactly what you're seeing here you have the first two blade movies are fucking cool as shit but it's not going out of its because of everything that it's doing on screen and how cool wesley snipes uh naturally is and everything else you don't have this movie that's like how do we make it fucking cooler and and let let people know that we're adults doing adult things in our gory van? I mean, it is just the example of, you know, trying too hard to show how adult and cool you don't care about, you know, your parents' vampires and everything about it becomes eye-rolling and lame. You're, you're 100% right. And I, I, I don't have a whole lot to add on that because I think we're on the same page, but like... This movie has no texture. It has nothing but uh, a, a, a sort of forward-moving energy and the forward-moving energy of capitalism and enterprise. It has no, it it has no character. It has no personality, and that's what happens when you push out Wesley Snipes, who is the human voice of this series. It's it's very much a. This is very much a Vampires 1 movie um, because this is this is like Blade uh, throughout the series has been pushing off the the pull of uh, is he on his, his, his hunger, his hungry vampire side or is he a human that, that wants to protect the human race from this, this monstrous threat? And uh, this is the movie where Blade loses. Blade becomes this like sullen vampiric figure just pushing forward, pushing forward, and he loses his humanity. He loses everything that's interesting about him. And I this is that's all meta text. In the movie, he's supposed to be a cool hero, doing cool shit, but you watch it, he just looks tired, he looks depressed. And I, I feel for Wesley Snipes when I'm watching this movie. It feels like it's like it it it, it bums me out because it feels like we're we're seeing a record of one of his low points in his career and we're seeing him have to go to work. And like, I don't know, like, I hate to reference it, but like we've all the past year and a half, like we've all had to work through a whole bunch of bullshit. We've all had to work through like our, some of our most depressed, apocalyptic, nihilistic, 
periods in our in our in our brain space and like that's what it reminds me of it reminds me of like i probably looked like wesley snipes in this movie when it was like um (laughs) july of 2020 and i was like so how much longer am i supposed to be stuck in my house when's the next time i can see my parents my my best friends and my or, or all of them are in the midwest like I have some friends here, but I get to see them with masks on 20 feet apart in my backyard. Like that sort of depression that you're like, I can't do what I want to do. Somebody's holding me. I'm being held back. Obviously not. I'm not implying that all that shit was, you know, some human being holding me back. Obviously it was the fear of death and, and a massive virus. But um, that that's what I feel when I watch this movie. The idea, my, uh, my, uh, a human being being subjugated and being pushed down, um, not being able to live their full life, and like that's what, that's what I see in Wesley Snipes, and that's what this, this movie's depressing. <laughs> it's depressing on every level. It also yeah. like the stories of him and like being quote unquote difficult to work with. Yes. Also helped like I'm, also helped uh, hurt his career um, to the point that. Uh, you know, he he was doing. I mean, the other reason he was doing a lot of directed TV st- or directed video stuff is because of the tax evasion thing. But like him not getting in bigger movies, I'm sure contributed to him not wanting to pay taxes, so he had more money to keep up with whatever lifestyle uh, that that was happening. I mean, it's 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 uh, yeah, the whole movie is fucking depressing. And again, it's it's just always amazing that these movies from this era specifically uh, were so good at like. Uh, really making sure you knew why there wasn't a fourth or a third movie, right? Because oh, yeah. they take something really good, they would make like just a completely tone deaf that didn't know why the last couple movies worked. They didn't know um, what would be successful and were more concerned with not how we make Blade Trinity a success, but how we set up the Blade franchise for many generations to come by by having the Abigail <laughs> Uh, franchise instead or the Hannibal franchise instead and um, it always just led to these kind of like broken products and that the didn't you know the one good thing about history is that I mean it never seemed to really work all that much and again say what you will about big budget sequels and franchises nowadays I do like them hate them good sequels bad sequels there, there's all the above at least it seems like there is an understanding that in order to set up a franchise for success long term, you have to focus on making your next movie generally good. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to – and like I'm excited for when they do another Blade movie in 2024 or whatever else it is. Um, but I would have rather seen a competent Blade 3 lead to a competent Blade 4 um, just because the first two are so great and – this is like this is the exact sort of ending that uh, you hate to see in any sort of franchise that you love. Uh, Although I said all yeah. that, forgetting that Rise of the Skywalker exists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's I think that's good. Um, but yeah, this was this was grim. <laughs> this was grim. Don't watch it if you've never seen this. Don't get curious. Yeah, just forget it. It's go it, watch Blade One or Two again. 
it, it feels like a bad comic book run that was taken over by an artist no one liked, but like Marvel was like, hey, we have an open slot, and this guy's like, ah, I'll fill in. And like, nobody wants to read it, but it's unfortunately somehow part of the canon. Like, this is that, that would be my, my correlation. David S. Goyer is the um, Mark Millar um, of, uh, of this universe. Uh, and I would say, like Hitler, he's not sexy. <laughs> not sexy. Not a sexy writer, anyways. I don't, I don't even know what he looks like. But in this movie, writing-wise, I was not turned on. The it, opposite. You weren't a big hornball for the writing in this movie? Not, no. Which, normally, when something's sexy, I get all horned up. But in this case... I think a final kind of note here is that this, uh, there's large portions of this movie that are supposed to make you very attracted to Jessica Biel. And, like... This is, I felt so bad for her the whole time. I felt time. so bad for her the whole time, and she's just dead-eyed and empty, and they give her nothing to do, and I'm well, not also, I realized too, she's is 20. talented. She's 20. That's fucking, like, that's fucking nuts. I'm that not, makes it even... It feels worse. It feels worse. I'm not denying that she's talented. I'm not denying she's beautiful. She's obviously beautiful, and I, I, apparently she's really good in the center. I haven't seen a whole lot of work of hers I've been like impressed with, but apparently she's really good in the center. Yeah. But like that sort of dead-eyed strive forward kind of uh you know emptiness is the movie just everyone just feels like everyone feels like they're held hostage it's it's not great uh next week we're doing something that we haven't seen any of these right we're gonna do um the two animated hellboy movies uh which are called something like like blood and oil and like storm of swords they're like they're like game of throne novel titles (laughs) I'm actually looking it up. Oh, oh, I thought we were just pushing on. Okay, one is definitely called Storm of Swords. The other one's called Blood and Water, I think. Uh, they both are prequels to the 2004 Hellboy movie. Uh, they're produced by Guillermo del Toro, uh, Ron Perlman. All your favorites are the voices. Uh, and I think they're, they're generally pretty well regarded. So I'm actually kind of excited to, to have an excuse to see these. And Peter, they're like both 70 minutes along. Oh, yeah. Is, we love it. Is, we love awesome. to hear. We love to see it. And, and then uh, and there's, if and if it's possible, I'd like to sneak in the pilot to the amazing screw on hub. Uh yeah, we can we can we can try to get to that if it's possible. Uh, on top of that, we're doing an unspecified number of episodes of the Blade animated television series that ran for one season in 2013. Uh, I'm gonna at least wa- we're both gonna at least watch the first one. If I'm intrigued, I may move on. If I'm like that sucked. I'll probably stop. Yeah, um, I think I'll probably watch the first two or three because you know the the pilot is you know pilot's kind of, always a, a little iffy. Yeah, um, and yeah. then I want to watch um, you know once they actually got their their wings on uh, and they tried to put their their best foot forward. What did they show us? <laughs> I love the idea that the best that you can hope for is that they tried to put their best foot forward. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I'm not I actually think it has, it has okay reviews. It's essentially the last representation of blade in media we thought about doing an episode of so this blade trinity has an actual sequel right david s goyer went and produced a a season of television for sprite tv Uh, potentially two seasons or like it's one of those short like it had six episodes and then it got 12 episodes and then it was canceled that's supposed to follow exactly the events of this and we thought about 
tracking that down on DVD and watching a couple episodes. It obviously recast Blade for a variety of obvious reasons. Uh, and then after uh, watching this movie again, we decided that we, no, we didn't want to see David S. Goyer and now Sans Wesley Snipes do things. Yeah, so. and plus TV budgets at the time, and this was kind of before, yeah. um, you know, The Basic Shield. Basic cable, yeah. This is kind of before The Shield and Dexter had, like, really made their impact, and Breaking Bad had made their impact, where, like... Um, I think the Shield came out in 2004. I know, I know, I know. But, like, this is before their, their impact was really felt. Because The Shield, like, they weren't making shows like The Shield or what I, or, or Breaking Bad until, um, you know, years later. Where they were like, oh, we can actually cash in on this. Because both of those shows um, were just kind of seen as flukes. Uh-huh. Yeah, ba- basic cable budgets were terrible. Like, the prestige drama at the premium channels was there, but agree, like, 2006 is, like, when things, I think, started picking up a little bit, but I can't... There's a variety of reasons why. We'd have to buy the entire series on DVD. We'd have to watch specifically David Goyer just get to do whatever he wants to do. We have to watch a recast Blade because of everything that happened on this movie. No, thank you. So we are going to pick it up with the last representation of Blade in media until whenever that new Disney Marvel one comes out in like 2024. With Marshall so. Ali, which will probably yep. be really great. But probably be uh, good. I'm a little worried about Marvel hammering out all of the cool rough edges that make the first two movies so cool. Yeah. Uh, but with that, we will see you next week for a lot of content that's got to be fucking better than this pile of garbage. <laughs> Good night. And don't get bit. Five, four, three. Fuck it. There's no, there's no words on tomorrow. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Fuck it. I've never seen that. Fucking thing sucks. There's no words there. Fuck it. There's no, there's no words on tomorrow. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Fuck it. I've never seen that. Hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, It wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, (laughs) If you can't, (laughs) uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>